Amen. Good morning. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. It's good to be here. Amen. Amen. And let's, let's show some love for a fresh visit from the Lord through our worship this morning. So good. Also, that God's saving people, still in the business of saving lives, rescuing them for eternity. Those following in baptism, what a great day to celebrate. We have some scheduled almost every week. It's so cool. And so I'm delighted to be here. Listen, we're in transition now. Uh, we've been for nine months. We've been studying the book of Exodus. 3,500-year-old book. That is absolutely incredible. I have learned so much. I've been blessed so much, and I hope the same is true for you. Now, when we get to Exodus 20, which is where we are, it's the halfway uh, point in this incredible book. <clears throat> and so uh, we're going to take a pause. We're going to step aside from Exodus, and in two weeks we're going to start the amazing book of Acts, uh, which we're going to learn about the early church and why we're here today. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn a lot of things. It's going to be amazing. And so I want to encourage you to invite your friends. It's a good time to invite friends. A lot of changes going on in the life of the church. And uh, new series is often a good time for people to say, you know what, I want to get in early. I want to get uh, learn this book because it's incredible. Uh, so when, if we're going to step aside from the book of Acts after 20 chapters of greatness, how do we do that? And so if you've been here for a while, you know that I'm, I'm an expositional preacher for the most part, which means we open up the Bible by, book by book and we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter for the most part. And so I was reading in the scripture and I, I was kind of sweating, like, how am I going to get out of this smoothly? Well, leave it to God. Exodus chapter 20 did all the work for me. So today we're going to learn how... Um, how, what we do with what we've learned over the last nine months in this incredible book uh, from 3,500 years ago. Now, in this book, we've learned some great things. Uh, we've learned a picture of a God who comes from heaven down to this earth to reach out to a people who are undeserving. Uh, he didn't pick them because they were large and powerful. He picked them just because he had to start somewhere, and he chose a body of people who were enslaved at this point to demonstrate his greatness through and to demonstrate a picture of what he's going to do later, ultimately through his son, Jesus. Uh, we saw God delivering people from bondage. That's what Jesus does. Uh, we saw God uh, begin to uh, perform miracles and, and, and provide for them in the desert. He gave water from a rock. He gave uh, uh, a bread from uh, heaven's bakery, delivered to the doorstep every day. A picture of what Jesus and the Holy Spirit does. Uh, we saw God as he uh, instituted a governmental plan, a, a community structure for his people, which is what the church is. Uh, we saw as God would cross them through the Red Sea on a dry Red Sea bottom. In the scripture it says, see today the salvation in the New Testament, the salvation of the Lord in the New Testament it says that they were baptized into Moses. So we saw a picture of salvation and water baptism. It's incredible. Everything points and paints a picture of the ultimate coming Christ. Of all of the things that they instituted in, in this amazing book, we saw the Passover. The Passover was a moment in time when God gave them instruction that it is a blood sacrifice that delivers people from death unto life. That's it. Without a blood sacrifice, uh, they weren't spared from the Passover, uh, from the death angel. And so that's what Jesus does. He provides, he, he completes it all. So it's pretty incredible. And so now as we get to chapter 20, uh, he gives us the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are incredible. And you ask a question, do, do the Ten Commandments still matter to us? Listen to me. Yes, they do. 
It doesn't mean that we get to heaven by obeying the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to help us understand we are terribly, uh, we are terribly pitiful at obeying the Ten Commandments. All that was was a benchmark guideline, a foundation, a launch pad to understand that God sets his standard really, really high. His standard is actually perfection. And these Ten Commandments were given not to help us know how good we are at obeying commandments. They were given to help us know how badly we are in need of an outside rescuer who would come and obey them completely, fulfill them, and then die in our place to rescue us. That's what it's all about. So how do we get out of this book 20 chapters into it? Well, as I was reading this, the, the, uh, preparing for this, it dawned on me. The, the real question is, what do we do with the information from the first 20 chapters? How does it apply to our life? How does it impact our life? What's next for the nation of Israel? But more importantly, more significantly, listen to me. What's next for you? What's next for me? Now that we've been... Uh, exposed to the God and to uh, what it looks like to obey God and what the challenges are, what's next for us? Now, I believe one of the biggest problems in the church today, let alone in the world, but in, in the church, within the church family, the church body, the bride of Christ, one of the biggest problems is that we have lost our lofty view of God. We, we've lost that. We, we've walked away and we've packaged God in a box. Now, we, we have changed the way we look at God. Uh, and, and we have brilliant minds and, and, and we, we want to own that. We want to talk about that. And we go to these, uh, these amazing institutions of higher learning. And, and, and we go to these seminaries where, you know, we just really feel like we understand God. We've really kind of figured him out. And I want you to know that's wrong. I want you to know that although this gray matter surrounded by this skull we call a brain in our head, although they are bright and brilliant and accomplish great things, we only scratch the surface of the depth of the greatness of God. I want you to understand that. I, I want you to, to wrap your arms around that. It, we, we have to get back to a big God, little me mentality. It's critically important that we do that. He is a big God. Everybody say big God. That sounds so simplistic, but it's so accurate. Now we could throw adjectives on there to make him sound bigger. We don't have words to describe or to point out the greatness of his nature. He's a big God. And we have to get back to that. Now, people feel like, oh, we've discovered such great things with this gray matter in our head. We accomplish such great things things. Uh, and meanwhile, when we get that mentality, we un unknowingly play the part of the fool. When we think we're so greater or we begin to understand things so much and we focus on what we accomplish and what we know and who we are and what we do, we play the part of the fool. Because the only reason we have any gray matter in our skull is because there is a greater one, a bigger God who knit that together. He knit that together with the primary purpose, not so you and I could accomplish and know great things, but so we would accomplish great things for him and know him more. That's the reason we're able to think. And so God no longer in this world we live in, he no longer gets the glory for all of the good things that we enjoy, that we experience, that we see 
every day. But you better believe God gets the blame when things go like we don't want them to. And we, we forget on the good days when we have good breath and good air. On the good day when our heart is in rhythm. On a good day when we don't have aches and pains. On a good day when our child is not rebellious. On a good day when our parents have not lost their mind. On a good day when we have a job. On the good days, in the good moments, we forget to give him the glory and to praise him. But you better believe when something goes south and we're no longer satisfied, he gets the blame. Now why is that? Because we've lost our lofty view of a great God who deserves and commands the glory and the honor and the praise. And when we do that, Proverbs 18 verse 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in disclosing what is on his mind. That's the world we live in. We, we don't want to understand the vastness of God and all that we experience in this life, but we want to voice our opinions. Anybody in here knows, you know anybody who likes to voice their opinion? Just say Amen. If they're sitting next to you, do not look over. Okay? We all know people and we all play that part because we like freedom of speech. We like telling people what we think. Romans 14.1 says, <clears throat> now how do we deal with people like that? They're, they don't want to understand it. They just want to voice their opinion. 14.1 of Romans says, now receive the one who is weak in the faith and do not have disputes over differing opinions. Listen. We have all these arguments and all these conversations and all these debates about where we land with philosophical views and religious views and, and what we believe about certain passages in the Bible. And we think somehow we're going to sway somebody with our ideology. We're not going to do that for the most part. They won't change. We, we may have some level of, uh, of uh, they may conform at some level, but their heart won't change. Their heart changes when the Holy Spirit changes their heart. And listen to me, sometimes when we're arguing and praying that God would change somebody else's heart, God will change our own heart. And that's important to know that. We have to be willing to listen to God. And so sometimes what we do is when we read this book of Exodus, we, we, we walk away and we say, wow, how cool would that be to live in a world where God comes down from heaven and speaks in a burning bush? Wouldn't that be cool? How cool would it be to be able to watch God part a sea and invite us to walk on a dry bottom through it? How cool would it be to look back and see God destroy those people in our life that we would consider enemies, that he would just wipe them out in the sea? How cool would that be? How cool would it be that when we need something fresh to eat, we just go out and look up and it just falls out of the bakery of heaven? I mean, it would be amazing, right? That's the same God that we have today. He's still revealing himself. He's still working miracles. He still wants to introduce himself to you in a vast and a broad and a deep and an expansive way. We only read about it in the Old Testament to learn what we can expect from our God today because he never changes. Romans 15, four tells us this. It says, for everything that was written in former times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Isn't that cool? That what we read in Exodus is to give us hope and encouragement of what we can experience in this life. He may not part a sea in front of you. He may not speak to you from a burning bush. 
but he, he wants a relationship with you. He's doing miracles in your life every day. He's providing for you. He's extending his grace and his mercy and his love to you every single day. So then the question is, so what's next? What's next? Point number one on the back of your life guide is this. Consider God's revelation. So this is what we do. This is what Israel had to do. We get to a place where we read about God. We learn about God. We have the revelation of God. Simply consider it. Consider it with an open mind. Consider it with a prayerful mind. Consider it with an obedient heart. God, you show me. I will listen. You, you teach me you, and I will follow you. Now, we have to be willing to do that. So we've got to consider the revelation. That God is not a God who hides in the garden, God's not the one that was hiding and Adam and Eve looking for God. It's Adam and Eve who are hiding. God doesn't hide. He doesn't have any reason to be hiding. He, he's not fearful of anything. He's God. He's not ashamed of anything. He's perfect. He's God. And, 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 and in his perfection, somehow the, the love of God desires a relationship with the image bearers of this world. And that happens to be you and me. Tell the person next to you, God loves you. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I don't understand that because I don't even like you. So to think that the God of the universe would love you, that just I'm kind of moved by that. And it's true. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, no matter where we are on this day, God loves us. His love is not contingent on our goodness. His love is contingent on the fact that God is love. And so what we do is we begin to think about all we do rather than the greatness of God. Rather than consider the revelation of God, we consider the revelation of our own, of our own accomplishments, of all that we do. I mean, we, we, have, we demonstrate emotions like love and, and hate and happiness and sadness and anger and, and joy, and, and, and we develop ways and systems to activate and stimulate all of those emotions. Now, one person may take a brush and paint this beautiful painting. One person may take an instrument and, and play this beautiful song. One person may speak. One person may sing and entertain and engage those who hear in, in that gift that they've been given. We compete with each other. We help each other. We love each other. We have community with each other. We, we have children with each other. We adopt children in need with each other. Uh, we create things that entertain. We create things that challenge our minds and our bodies. We look down through a microscope and we see all of this microscopic structure that, 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 that holds together everything in existence and, and we forget where it all came from. And in all of that that we know and do and experience, we think very highly of ourselves. And we forget that all of that is only there because there's a big God who made it happen. And sometimes rather than looking around and looking down through a microscope, it pays dividends to look up and be reminded and to be mindful. If you take a a telescope as opposed to a microscope and, and you look up into the cosmos, into the vast universe. Oh, on occasion, we look up into the night sky and, and we see the moon or we see stars, but to look through a, a, a telescope and, and realize when we look up and gaze into it and realize there are literally billions of galaxies 
like what we're seeing in our own galaxy. We look up and we realize that each galaxy has somewhere between 100 million and 100 trillion stars in each one of those galaxies. It's so amazing and so complex and and so fine-tuned in its existence. And it's in that cosmic vastness that we have to consider that maybe we're not so big after all. Maybe, just maybe, we are this minuscule, tiny, uh, complex dust floating around on a small rock through the sky. And all of a sudden, we don't feel so big after all. And we realize if God chose to love us and we are that small in all that he created, what kind of a God must that God be? And so we begin to consider this revelation of God. I want you to know today in my research, this is what I was reminded of, that as we speak, sitting here in this church service on this particular Sunday morning, we are spinning around on our own axis like a basketball on a ball player's finger at a speed of 1,037 miles per hour. And meanwhile, we're sliding through space around the sun, orbiting the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And meanwhile, the whole Milky Way galaxy is orbiting around itself at a speed of 448,000 miles per hour. And now we know why we have bald-headed people. We're sliding that fast. It has sucked the hair literally off of some of our people. And meanwhile, we're here. Why? Because in all of that, there's a God that is so much bigger. And all that is is fingerprints. All of that, when we look up, they're just the fingerprints of God. It just displays his greatness. That's all. And that great God who whispered and spoke all of that into existence. And scripture says he numbers the stars. He has names for the stars and he causes them to shine. He knows when when one falls out of the sky. He knows when you see one shooting across the sky. That's who God is. And all of a sudden we get so small. Now I've got bad news. In the process of, of updating my research about this, I read an article from NASA that as pastor and shepherd, I need to let you know about. You may have not seen it on the news. This is what I learned. NASA has confirmed that the Milky Way galaxy is on a direct head-on head collision course with our nearest galaxy neighbor called the uh, Andromeda Galaxy. Did anybody know that? I didn't know this. And so you need to be aware of this to make preparation. They say that the two are rushing toward each other right now at a speed of about 70 miles per second. It's pretty fast. And based on this speed and the size of our galaxies, they forecast that the two will collide in a little less than 4 billion years. Okay, so you need to know that. You need to buy some canned goods, you know, because in 4 billion years, we're gonna collide, okay? Now we know this. NASA knows this, right? And rather than saying, wow, somebody put that out there and and he knows what he's doing, we, we, we think we're so great simply because we know those facts. And meanwhile, God is saying, I put those there not so you could learn facts, but you, so you could learn the greatness of who I am. And so we've got to consider the, revela- the revelation that God gives. 
rather than think so highly of ourselves, like we have figured it out and we're so brilliant and so knowledgeable, on the other hand, we realize how nothingness in size relative to all that we truly are. And so in all of that disparity between the cosmos and our individual being, there's God. And there's God and he says, yeah, I I did that. I just kind of told that to be there. And I formed you. And I fashioned you. And I knit you together specifically. So small, so intricate. And so with the image of me. You see, the cosmos doesn't bear the image of God. You do. And that's why he loves you more than the cosmos. That's why Jesus didn't die on a cross to rescue the cosmos and to keep the Milky Way from colliding with the Andromeda galaxy. He died on the cross so he could spend eternity with you. I'm just smitten by that, man. I know me. I know what's behind what I see in the mirror. And to know that that God chose to do that for me shakes me in my shoes. And it should shake you as well. And so the holiness of God, the glory of God, his eternal nature, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, all of that he wants to declare to you. He wants to reveal to you. Sometimes people say, wow, well, how cool it would be if God would just speak to me audibly. In fact, I pray a lot and I just don't know what to do. And right now I just wish God would speak audibly. Like a burning bush would be cool, okay, or even a text message from God. That would be awesome. And I believe sometimes if God actually did answer our prayer and spoke to us audibly, I think this would be his his communication with us. Uh, When you start reading the letter that I gave you, and when you start obeying the letter that I gave you, then we'll talk about another means of conversation. Because for most of us, we haven't done what he said to do already. Why would he tell us something else to do? He knows we're not going to do it anyway. And and so that's the world we live in that God wants to reveal himself. So so how does God reveal himself today? How has he given us a revelation to even consider? I think in three profound ways. One way is revelation given in his word. Just read this book and it reveals God. It tells us everything we need to know. Not everything there is to know. There's not enough paper for that. There's not enough time for that. You're not going to read that because you haven't read this. But read this book. It is the revelation of God given in his word. In Exodus 19, a very very tangible demonstration of who God is. It says in Exodus 19, we read it a few weeks ago, Moses went to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain. Thus you will tell the house of Jacob and declare to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you up on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And now if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations for all the earth is mine. He reveals himself in his word. Continuing in Exodus 19 verse 16, on the third day in the morning, there was thunder and lightning and a dense cloud on the mountain and the sound of a very loud horn. All the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Pretty cool. He says, and they took their place at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. 
And its smoke went up like the smoke of a great furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. And when the sound of the horn grew louder and louder, Moses was speaking, and God was answering with him in a voice. He reveals himself in Scripture. We don't have to be first-hand eyewitnesses. We can read about it in the infallible, inerrant, eternal Word of God. In Exodus 20, the chapter that we're in right now, it says in verse 18, all the people seeing the thundering and the lightning, and they heard the sound of the horn, and they saw the mountain smoking. God reveals himself through his word for you and for me to know him, to experience him, to gain a big God, little me mentality so that we can have a proper relationship with him. So we get revelation to consider from his word. But we also get revelation to consider, and it's seen in creation every day. When we look at each other, we ought to just be amazed that they're there. We should be amazed at ourselves, at the way God's created us. Take any part of your body, take the eyeball and dissect it. I mean, don't take it out and dissect it, that would be painful. But, but do some research on the eyeball, how intricately that thing is put together, okay? And, and you'll be amazed. And it didn't evolve chance and time. There's not enough chance and time for that to happen. God caused that to happen. Genesis 1-1 says, Everything we know came from Genesis 1-1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what that means? God created everything that we know. All of creation, every part of it, God spoke it into existence out of nothing at all. Ex nihilo. Romans 1 says this about uh, what we do with the, uh, considering the, the revelation of creation. Romans 1 verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes and God's eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. And then he says this, so people are without excuse. If you don't understand how big God is just by looking around, you got no excuses. God's word says that. We can't st stand before God one day and say, God, I, I didn't know. You got no excuse. Did you wake up? Did you breathe air? Did your heart beat? Did you see something, hear something, touch something with your senses? You knew. You knew there's something bigger. That didn't just happen, right? And so he's given us his word to consider. And then thirdly, we're to consider revelation, which is revealed in Jesus' son. You see, Jesus is the word made flesh. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And we know that Jesus is this book with skin on, okay? He fulfilled it all. He's a picture of everything that God is. He's the direct image of God, full revelation of God, and full completion of the word of God. Here's what it says about Jesus in Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus, the Son of God, is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence. And Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. And so when, we had, when he had accomplished Cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. 
He's revealed himself through Jesus, his son. And so he says, listen, we have to consider that. We have to take a, a very real approach to considering the revelation of God. He desires to be seen. He's not hiding. His handiwork cannot be ignored. It's everywhere. His fingerprints are written across eternity. And there should be a logical response to that. But it doesn't always work that way. It seems very logical to me, okay? Why does it seem logical to me? Because the Holy Spirit makes it logical to me. Because I was wandering in blindness and in darkness, and God whispered an invitation to me to be in his forever family. And it's in that moment that I had an opportunity to receive or reject his invitation. And when I received his invitation, instantly, he engrafted his Holy Spirit in me, and he engrafted me into his forever family. And although I messed up a whole lot of stuff, because I was, I mean, I was really confused. I've not told you I'm not that bright. But over time, God has made it just so incredibly clear that he is an amazing God who loves us all the time. And he wants us to have relationship with him every single day. But we get to choose our response to the revelation that we consider. You get to choose where you land. And, and, and in reading Exodus, I never noticed this in chapter 20. They had an opportunity to choose. What did it look like? Well, it looked like the same thing it looks like today. There's basically four categories of response that we choose. The first one is that we choose to believe this is a revelation, a direct revelation from God, Theonustos, inspired of the Holy Spirit given to men, written over thousands of years by different authors to different people groups, all of it, uh, all of it, uh, harmoniously merged together, pointing to the greatness of God and his desire to have relationship with us. Now, we either choose to believe this uh, or we don't, okay? Now, that's, one is just to say, this is, where I, this is where I place my life, on this book. No matter what anybody else says, I'm gonna stick to this book, I'm gonna read this book, I'm gonna study this book, I'm gonna apply this book to my life so I live by this book. This is my standard for life. This is how I know who I am. This is how I know who God is. This is how I develop a relationship with God. It's through this book and this book alone. It's a great way to, great, great way to be. I encourage everybody in here to be that, but it's not that way. You see, there's another category of people, how we choose but the revelation, uh, choose to respond to the revelation that God gives, and that is we will choose to use the secular world system to tell us what we believe. In other words, we may go to church even, and we may have family members who place all their faith in this book, and we may know information about this book and from this book, but when it comes to our life, we listen to what the world says to determine how we live each and every day. That's the response, an, another response to the revelation of God. And we know people that, that are that way. Maybe even they were raised in church, but they wake up one day and they say, I just don't believe that anymore. I don't think that's true. I, I, I'm gonna listen to what the world says. Now let me just say, the, the, incredible, the incredible thing about this book is it doesn't move. It doesn't change. If you read it 3,000 years ago, what was written by Moses in the Pentateuch, if you wrote it, if you read it about 2,000 years ago, what was written by the disciples or, or the Apostle Paul, we, we still read the same words today. That may be translated in English. You can look it up and read it in Greek. It says the same thing. It doesn't move. All the other information that the secular world presents, all of it is a moving target. 
Open your biology book today, it says something. Pick up a biology book from 20 years ago, it says something different. You see, it's a moving target, and this book stays the same. But some people don't want it to be the same. They want a word that changes with our times and our culture. So we listen to what the secular world says. The third group are people who somehow try to merge the two. It's like, well, I want to believe in God's word, but there's things in God's words that, that when I look at it and I look at our culture, it doesn't match and it doesn't make sense. And, and if I choose to believe this, I'm going to offend some people in my life and in my world. Or I'm going to offend parts of my life that I don't want to align with this book. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to merge the two together and I'm going to have a biblical worldview and a secular worldview at the same time. It will not work. You cannot do that. That's a failure. You can't do that. This is not a buffet Bible, okay? It's all or nothing. And then the fourth category are probably one of the most disturbing and one of the most prevalent in our world today. It is where we just throw up our hands and say, I just don't know, man. I used to believe this book, students who are going to college, in high school, soon to be going to college, you're just going to get slammed. I'm just going to tell you. You're going to have a biblical worldview because I know Clark and what he teaches. He has a great biblical worldview, and he teaches that. And you're going to come in here, and I'm going to preach a biblical worldview that we live by this book. And, and then you're going to go to a, an institution of higher learning, and they're going to tell you that all this is wrong. And they have new information, a new revelation. And if you'll learn that and apply that to your life, your life you, you're just going to enjoy life. And so what we do is, is either we jump into that and we have a secular view or we throw our hands up and say, I want to believe the Bible, but those, that guy has a PhD. That woman, she's been around the world. And when they speak, they speak with confidence. And so did Lucifer in the garden. Okay? And so what we do is we say, I just don't know anymore. I want to believe God's word, but I know this other information. And I just, I, I, so what I'm going to be... I'm not going to be an atheist because that backs me in a corner one day where I will for sure stand before God if he's really there and I'll be in big, 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 big trouble, right? So I'm not going to call myself an atheist, but I'm not going to proclaim myself to be a Christian, a follower of God through Jesus' son, but I'm not going to say I'm a secularist, okay? So what I'm going to say, I'm going to say I'm an agnostic. That means there's not enough information for me to really know what truth is. So I'm just going to be floating around in this, this mosh pit of nothingness, not really hanging on to anything, okay? And that's, that's the number one getter of our young people, to move from Christianity where there's a foundation on Scripture, but then to be inundated with information alternative to Scripture, not being willing to say I'm an atheist because it's going to be offensive to my family and my church and my past, and if God's out there, then to God too. So I'm just going to say, I don't really know. That's our fourth category to choose. Exodus chapter 20 now. What about Israel? Let's go back to the story we're in, this book we're in. What do they do? They look like this. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18b, it says, when the people saw, so they're seeing the revelation of God, now they're going to consider the revelation of God. Now they're going to choose the response to the revelation of God. Listen to how they do it. They trembled with fear, and they kept their distance. They said to Moses, uh, you speak to us, and we'll listen. But don't let God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be, for, may be before you so that you do not 
sin. The people kept their distance. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. There it is. That's us. 3,500 years ago, they did the same thing. They had this incredible revelation of God. He's right there with them. I mean, there's smoke and earthquakes and fire and God speaking. I mean, it's, it's real. It's heavy. And they consider, what are we going to do? Now, that's it. What are we going to do? First, I want you to notice there's a God. He's the first one who makes the move for restoration and relationship. He's the one that comes from heaven. He's the one doing all the work. And his ultimate motivation, it's, it's not so they'll be afraid. It's so they'll come close. So they'll know him. So that they'll love him because they're amazed at him. How can you not love somebody who speaks everything into existence and wants to come and talk to me at the same time? Pretty incredible. And this God leaves no room for confusion. He's given them the rule book for living, the Ten Commandments. He tells them what he expects. He tells them how he'll help them fulfill those expectations. And so they have to make a choice. And, and let me pause. Every person in here, you, you get this, right? You personally must make a choice. Your, 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 your spouse, your child, your parent, your preacher, no, no one can make this choice for you. You personally have to consider the revelation of God and choose your response. We can't ride into heaven on the coattails of somebody who was a good Christian. We can't ride into heaven hanging on to somebody that we know who's devoted to God. We each, every one of us, have a volitional choice that we make in response to the revelation of God. And so what's the first group that might include you? Verse 18 of Exodus 20 says, they trembled and they kept their distance. There's no doubt God was real. No doubt God was big. No doubt God was powerful. No doubt God was amazing. How do you respond? What choice of response do you make? It says they trembled and they kept their distance. They said, you know what? No doubt the God who's shaking that mountain, the God who's sending fire from the sky and smoke is roaring up and there's darkness, this thick cloud and he's, his voice is thunderous. No doubt he's an amazing God, but I'm gonna stay back here in the distance. I'm gonna watch from a distance. I'm gonna take a back seat. <laughs> That's not a slam on you in the back. I just, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit way back here, okay? Because if I get close to that God, there's some unknowns. If I get close to him, he, he may want me to change something in my life. He, he want, may want me to believe differently about parts of my life and other choices. He may want me to abandon some things I think. He may want me to abandon some people that I run with. He may want to radically change me so I'm not ready for that. I'm afraid of that change. I'm going to keep my distance from the God of the universe. It, it makes sense in one way and it makes no sense at all in another. So what do they do? We're gonna stay back here. And then they say this to Moses. We'll let you be our mediator. Hey, I, I don't wanna hear from God because it says in there, lest we die. But Moses, you go talk to him 
and you come and tell us what he says. Now, why would they do that? There's a lot of people who are comfortable talking about God. There, there are a lot of people who are talk, comfortable talking about God's word at a distance. There's a lot of people comfortable talking to a preacher. But out of that group, there's a lot of those, they don't want to talk to God. They don't want to hear from God. Why? Because in our brilliance, we can have a debate with somebody. We can disagree with somebody. We can deny what they're saying is right or true. And we can go on with our life if we don't like what they say. But there's something about standing before God and letting God penetrate the callous of our heart and speaking truth that says, I love you, but I love you way too much to leave you there. I want to take you over here. But before we can go over there, we've got to change some things. We've got to do some things differently. But where I want to take you, I can promise you, is better than any place you've ever been. So Israel, like us, they're willing to have a mediator, somebody to stand between us and God as a buffer. There's another choice. But then there's this third option that we see in Scripture, and it's amazing. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. So Moses said to the people, he's their leader. He knows God. He loves God. He's being obedient to God. He loves the people. He knows how those people are wired. He is one of them. He wants them to go and do what God wants them to do. Here's what he says. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you so that you do not sin. He says, listen, God doesn't want what's worst for you. He wants what's best for you. God's intention is to bless you, not to curse you. The only reason he wants you to come close is because he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And then here's what Moses does. He's, remember we talked about it early. There may be two and a half million people out there in the desert being led by Moses. And out of those two and a half million people, most of them have said, I'm going to stay at a distance because I'm scared. I don't want it. I'm not going there. And what does Moses do? All that peer pressure. It would have been so easy. Yeah, you're right. I say we stay back here in the distance. Listen to the words. It says the people kept their distance, but Moses. This is the place where you could write your name in there. The world kept its distance. Many of my friends at church kept their distance. My family kept their distance. But you, what about but you? Here it is. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Moses looks at his nation of people he's leading. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm going in. And he stepped into the darkness, into the thick of where God is. Now listen to me. Every one of us, I, your pastor, first and foremost, we need a fresh and radical step into the thickness of where God is. We need that moment where, God, where we feel God inviting us into his presence and we have a choice to make. We tremble in fear and stay at a distance. We, we like, I've been there too long. 
I've been at a distance too long. I know there's unknowns in the thickness, in the darkness, in that vastness of God. I'm going in. I just love that. I just love that. Moses stepped in to God. And what an amazing narrative about this guy. And so we have the revelation of God's greatness through his word, his creation, and his son. And none of them are given to drive us into the darkness and to drive us into the distance. They're given to invite us closer. Did you know that? All of creation, God put it there and gave you eyes and ears to see and hear it, hands to feel and touch and a nose to smell it, to invite you into him. The word of God is given not to drive you away in fear, but to invite you closer and to know him more deeply. Everything he does is given to invite us, not move us further away. And so God's nature is that he loves us and he wants us to know him. And I want you to know thirdly, we consider the revelation, we choose our response, and number three, then we get to cultivate a relationship. Cultivate a relationship. You see, some of us have stepped into the thick of God. And I'm, I'm going to talk about me. As a 10-year-old boy, I was almost 10, I was in revival, and, and the Holy Spirit invited me into God's family. It, and I knew it. I wasn't looking for it, for it. I wasn't looking for God. I was being obedient to my parents who drug me to revival every night. But because they drug me there, because they knew that, that I would hear the truth, it was more than just hearing a preacher. God invited me into his family, and I received it. I mean, I walked down there, and I said, I don't know what this is, but I feel like God's speaking to me about being saved. The preacher prayed with me, and I was saved. I was born again right there as a little boy. Now, I was in relationship with God, but I didn't understand how to cultivate that relationship. Cultivate means to tend to, to take care of, to develop, to work with, to fruition. I, I didn't get that. So I spent a series of years where I was, I was a child of God, but I was not living for God. And I want you to know today, there's a whole lot of us in this church, in, the, in, in this very place, and that person may be sitting in your seat, that you've stepped in a little bit out of all that. You didn't stay at a distance. You stepped up into him, but you haven't cultivated that relationship. And you're missing the fullness of what Jesus wants for your life. Watch this. Verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, thus you will tell the Israelites, you yourselves have seen that I've spoken with you from heaven. He says, I've given you revelation of me. And then he says, you must not make gods of silver alongside me, nor make gods of gold for yourselves. You must make for me an altar made of earth and you will sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings and your sheep and your cattle in every place where I cause my name to be honored. He says, and then I'm gonna make you, you're gonna have a choice to make, a response based on the revelation. And then he says this, he says, and I, God, will come to you and bless you. 
all we do in cultivating a relationship with God is simply obey Him, honor Him, give Him glory with our life, and He blesses our life. Now, let me spin my little timetable forward. You know I had a birthday last week, right? I'm 61, all right? I told somebody 61 is the new 21. But I did not go get drunk, okay? 61's new 21. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. You see, we've been cultivating this thing for a while now. Am I, have I arrived? No, I have not. There's still parts of my life I'm back in the bushes, man, afraid, afraid of what God wants next. But I have learned to walk in the blessings of God no matter what comes. I want you to know, no matter what this life deals you, no matter what happens in your life, that same God who spoke everything, he says, I want a relationship with you and I want to bless you. So it's a choice we make to walk in the blessing or not. So how do we walk in the blessing? We obey him. We give him our allegiance. No other allegiance. We give him our allegiance. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. He doesn't give commandments to hurt us, but to help us. Not to break us, but to build us up. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says, take note, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. He does the same thing for a nation, does the same thing for us as individuals. I'm setting it before you. You can walk in blessing or you can walk in curse. It's just the choice you got to make for yourself. He says, the blessing if you take to heart the commandments of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today and the curse if you pay no attention to his commandments and turn from the way I'm setting before you today to pursue other gods you have not known. God says this, chase me, I'm going to dump the blessing on you. Run away from me, you're going to run into curses. That's what it looks like. And for most of us, we're not necessarily running from God, but we're not necessarily running to God. And that's the challenge for today. Step in to the unknown. Chase God at a different level. Consider all that he's done and let it challenge us to be different people. I hear people all the time tell me this. Man, I hear about your church, that God's doing great things in the church. I think something big's getting ready to happen in your church. I have people who don't even go here tell me, I wish I lived closer to you and I would come to your church. First of all, it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. I just get to be here like you. But I want you to know something. If we as a church, if I as the shepherd, pastor, leader, and if you as the community of believers, the church, if one by one, we start stepping into the thick of where God is, one by one. We have no idea what God will do in our midst. And that excites me. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge me to step in and I'm gonna challenge you to step in as well. Now, we're gonna finish. If you've never given your life to Jesus, that's your first step. 
I'm not talking about you know about Jesus. I'm not talking about you can quote some scripture. I'm talking about you've never received God's grace gift into your life. You've never had a spiritual rebirth. You've never been born again. You're not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. That's what Jesus said. But it is on this day, if you've never done that, the Holy Spirit could speak to your heart just like he did mine 50 years ago and invite you into his family. And if he does, I want to encourage you to step into the blessing of Jesus. How do you do that? You simply say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. You agree, that's, a, that's repentance, that's, a, that's to turn 180 degrees. God, you're right, I'm wrong. I've messed it all up and I can't fix me. But God, it is in this moment, for some reason, I feel like you're communicating to me, you're giving me a revelation that you love me even in my sin, but you want to take me to a different place. You want to adopt me into your family. And so on this day, I don't understand everything, but I receive Jesus into my life. I want to exchange all of my guilt and shame and sin for the perfection of your son, Jesus. Save me today, and he'll save you. Now, most of us have already made that step. We've stepped into that part of God, okay? It's time for us to take a move, make a move and to take a step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the book of Exodus, so old but so new, so eternal. God, we thank you that in it we learn instructions and we see this beautiful picture of what Jesus ultimately did for us. And we see in it all that you desire to do with your children, both then and now. God, we're humbled by your love for us. We want to say thank you for choosing to love the unlovable. That's us. We want to say thank you for doing something about our condition through Jesus, your son. It is my prayer today that if there is someone here who has never received Jesus into their life for salvation, that this would be their day, that your Holy Spirit would tenderly, gently convict their heart and invite them into your presence for salvation. I pray that you would bind any other spirit but the Holy Spirit so that they could make that choice to receive your gift based on your revelation. And then God, I pray that the rest of us would just think, what if we moved closer to God? What would happen in our life, in our family, in our career, in our neighborhood, and in our church? Help us be that people who are willing to step out of the distance, up close and personal, into the depth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.